Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we're talking about a different thing. Actor, director, genre, and this month we're talking about Nicolas Cage. This week is a little different because we had technical difficulties last week, so we apologize for delaying you guys with our schedule release, but we're doing our first double feature today. Yes, yes, we're going to do a double feature to really culminate 90s Cage, prime Cage years. This is the this is the decades he won his Oscars in. This is the decade he became a, a massive a box office sensation action hero. Nick Cage was in the 90s. And it's a 90s double feature today with Mr. Double Feature himself. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sure, we'll call me Mr. Double Feature. Hey, that's where you started. You started a double feature podcast. Yes, yes, and... I, I did. And, you know, this is my first time doing a double feature episode. Oh, oh it is. It is. Uh, hi, David, by the way. <laughs> if he even listens to this show. He probably doesn't, but still. Uh, so we're doing our first 90s double feature episode today. And we are talking about what movies? Well, we're going to talk about probably uh, Nick is, Nicolas Cage's greatest performance in Leaving Las Vegas. He won his Oscar for this role. Are you sure that's his best performance? Because you, I think we have it on tape of you saying uh, Vampire's Kiss was his best performance. Vampire's Kiss is one of the greatest performances of any actor. Oh, Leaving okay. Las Vegas is, just, is a great Oscar performance. Okay. And the other film we're talking about has been, it's been quoted to me as being the greatest film ever made. Uh, it is a nine masterpiece. It... Is the most memeable movie of all time. Quite possibly the most memeable film of all time. It, it goes, this movie, Citizen Kane. Like, that. that's it, right? Dean's making hand gestures right now, just in case you're wondering what he means by this and that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Citizen Kane is right under this movie, and this movie is Con Air. Bro. I mean, I'm excited. Fucking I've Con seen Air. this before. This was your first time seeing it. it. This was my first time seeing Leaving Las Vegas. Yes, we got to introduce each other to a Nick Cage movie the other one hadn't seen before. And I had a lot of fun with the one I saw. Yo. Man, I walked out of that one feeling very depressed. Ah, uh, yes. Thanks, Dean. Ah, uh, yes. It's back to the to our roots, you know. I show you depressing art house films and you show me bombastic action films. Exactly. Perfect. So... I think we should start it with leaving Las Vegas because that came out in 95. And also you really want to want to rip that bandaid off and, and get it away from you. I mean, it just, it hurts so much. It really does. It, that movie is so depressing. I mean, I watched the trailer and I'm like, okay, I'm like, spoiler, he might die in the end, but maybe we get like a, a sequence where she's able to get him like into rehab and he's good for a little bit and then he falls off the wagon and it's like, oh no, what could have been? And dude's just like, no, I'm not getting help. Sorry. And that's the whole movie. It also, because I don't think I ever saw the trailer. I, I think I saw Leaving Las Vegas for the first time because I just knew that's what he won his Oscar for. Oh no, with all the movies that we do on the podcast, I watch the trailer. So I kind of have like, a theater experience where I'm like, okay, like I more or less see what's going on. I don't read any synopsis about the movie. But like the trailer is, is the minimal, like any audience member going in to see that's something that you could yeah. reasonably get. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, maybe there's going to be like just a little glimmer of hope. No, there's not. 
I just wanted to ask about the trailer. Did it look like a comedy when you watched the trailer? Or no. did it just come off like a drama? No, it came off as a drama. Because cause Nicolas Cage prancing around the liquor aisle always gets a laugh out of me. And I've seen the movie. I know that that is him writing his suicide note. But Nick Cage prancing around like a jackass pulling vodka bottles off the shelf is is one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen on film. That and the movie gave me a lot of uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas vibes. Yeah, actually. Because I've seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas a few times. I've read the book. I think mm. you've read the book, I too. I have. And that that work is really, like, gonzo, steeped in, like, kind of, like, um, drug-induced psychedelia. Mm-hmm. So, the watching, watching Fear and Loathing, it was kind of like we're seeing Las Vegas through the lens of a... Uh, of a drunkard, of a drug addict, and mm-hmm. it's all wonked out, and everything's kind of strange and weird. And leaving Las Vegas, it's like watching that drunk, like gonzoed out mm-hmm. weirdo, prancing around Las Vegas, and we're the in the awkward position of having to follow this guy around to make sure he doesn't fall down and hurt himself. Yeah, and that's I think the perfect way to describe it because yeah. you know a lot of the movie is we're seeing like the shining lights of Las Vegas. Uh, we're seeing like the tie-in to video games, you know, getting punched out when they show those sequences, and then like he'll hit the ground. Oh uh, yeah, it has it has weird um, continuity and stuff like that within the editing because it's really flashy and sometimes it's really fast and sometimes it's really long and awkward. Yeah. Oh, do you do you want to give everybody the the elevator synopsis of the movie? I just realized I don't think any not many people have seen this. Yeah, from what I read people actually are walking out of this movie. It's one of those movies where it's like, you know, the people that absolutely loved it, you know, stayed, and the other people are kind of like, yeah, I I can't deal. This is really heavy. I gotta dip. So people were dipping. But I think since this this is your pick, you should give the speech because you've seen it, what, twice? Yeah, I saw it one other time before this, and then I vowed to never watch it again. And then you said Nicolas Cage month, and I'm like, we got to do the Oscar movie, don't we? And you're like, of course you have to do his Oscar movie. I'm like, oh, you sweet summer child, you are not prepared for this movie. I'm not, and I don't plan on ever watching it again, because this was a rough watch. Not performance-wise. Oh, God. It's, it's a rough watch because it's hard to see somebody that is so stuck in their addiction. It's subject not, matter. Not come out of it. You just, it's a, a death march. Yeah. Um. Should I give a content warning for it? Uh, yeah, there, there is some, uh, trigger warnings to this movie, because there is, uh, a lot of bad things that happen. Yeah, so, um, quick, here's the quick summary synopsis of what's going on. So, Nicolas Cage plays a, uh, a failed screenwriter, uh, Ben Sanderson, who, after being fired from his Hollywood job and his wife divorces him and takes away his son because of his drinking, he resolves to go to Las Vegas with his severance check and basically drink himself to death Mm -hmm. and while he's there he runs into sarah who is a prostitute and they form this kind of codependent relationship it's it's very strange because they both completely understand the other one's flaw he's a fall down drunk Mm -hmm. and she is a uh lady of the night who really kind of enjoys being the Mm -hmm. lady of the night and they are like, I acknowledge what you are doing is bad for you, but I won't change you because then you wouldn't be you. Yeah. And they form this really kind of, I, I almost want to say kind of a sweet romance 
but we see Ben spiral more and more into him realizing his goal of drinking himself to death mm -hmm. and Sarah spiraling and understanding that her being a prostitute is a very, not only dangerous proposition, but an incredibly um, abusive pro profession to be in. Yeah. Uh, and if you are going to watch this movie, the trigger warnings are in order. Um, you will see raging alcoholism mm -hmm. he he is ever Nicholas cage won an oscar for this performance because he is the greatest on-screen drunk and it's not funny no it's really depressing no. <laughs> you will see sarah engaging in prostitution in both consensual ways and non-consensual ways there is a gang rape in this movie and it's very violent yes you you don't see um a lot of physical stuff, but the implication and the camera work is mm -hmm. very, very off-putting. And at the end of the movie, spoiler warning, if you made it this far, you see her have sex with Ben, and then he dies, like, yeah. right after. Yeah. It is It is a gut-wrenching ending of a film. Mm -hmm. This movie is a difficult movie to watch. It's really, really, like, kind of vile and fucked up in a lot of ways. And this movie is a goddamn masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of acting. Nicolas Cage is on another fucking level in this movie. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> where should we start I... with uh, leaving Las Vegas? So, I think, okay. I wanted to just open with, with Nick Cage. Yeah. Because, he, again, he's the only person that won an Oscar for this movie. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was nominated. Elizabeth Shue was nominated. She plays Sarah. Uh, I think... Um, Julian Sands was nominated for Supporting Actor. Mm -hmm. uh, the director was nominated. I think it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. But he's the only one that took the gold. He's the only one that took the gold. And I just want to know, watching Nick Cage play Ben Sanderson, what makes him different than other movie drunks? Well, we've it's, seen... it's probably like what you said, that there was no comedy to it. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you see a lot of drunk people in movies and it's kind of like the comedic, you know, relief where they come in and they're stumbling or they knock somebody down and it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's not such a tense situation anymore. Mm. It's like, okay, I just saw him, you know, pound a bottle and now he's drinking and driving and now he's drinking even more and now he's passed out on the ground but he's crawling to go drink some more. It's like, yeah, this movie isn't going to be funny by any stretch of the imagination. It's just going to keep getting more and more horrific. Yeah. And it's the thing where... Because I watched um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf mm -hmm. um, not, not too long ago. And they drink a lot in that movie. They make a point that they're pouring booze down their throats. Mm -hmm. But that kind of drunkenness is like, oh, we're drunk, but it's just so we can spew words at each other because mm -hmm. we're angry. Yeah. With this, the way he's drinking, it is a very convincing kind of drunk. And he, he doesn't get eloquent. He doesn't get, like, funny. He becomes obnoxious. But he drinks so violently, too, where it's just... He's taking the entire bottle in one serving. And you're just thinking, my God, his heart is just gonna burst from all this alcohol running through his blood. And it's just like, he just keeps going. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the part of the movie where you realize that Okay, because I think up up to a certain point in the movie, you're like, okay, yeah, he's he's a he's a hard alcoholic, but this is a movie. He'll be he'll be okay, you know. He'll eventually he'll he'll you know get the shave and the cleanup, and he'll try and you know make right. Mm -hmm. 
and then you kind of realize that that's this is not that kind of movie mm-hmm. when he wakes up with the shakes. Yeah. And he has to and he has to make himself a a, a screwdriver mm-hmm. by just pouring a straight bottle of vodka into a jug of orange juice and it's like 90% vodka, 10% orange juice and he's just chugging it to try and stop the shakes. Yeah, that was rough to watch. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I'm like he's probably going to die trying to make the screwdriver. I mean, I'm like no, I'm like, he's you, fine. You, he, you he, checked how long you had left in the movie. Like, I got another hour of this? Pretty much. I was just like, because, I mean, he's so drunk that I'm like, anything could happen. He stumbles into the street. He falls through a table. He gets into a bar fight. So I'm like, okay, this is it. This is when it happens. And it's like, okay, no. What else is he going to do? You know, apart from drinking more. But I was like, what else is going to happen that ultimately leads to his demise? And it's him finally knowing, okay, it's probably going to be tonight that is my last night. I need you here with me. Yeah. And, like, because I've seen people who are uh, hard drinkers, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, but how, how would you even qualify Ben Sanderson as a character in his level of, of boozing? Because this is got because he makes a comment early in the film, he's not sure if his wife left him. Uh, because of his drinking, or his wife left him, and then he started, started drinking. drinking. Yeah, and I'm looking at him, and this is a guy who, who is probably marathoning vodka bottles. Yeah, because he he tries to sign a check at the bank, and he can't. He can't. He's shaking so hard. He looks very sick. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's like I want to call him like a violently alcoholic not because he's violent but it's just the way that he consumes his alcohol is very violent like like when you see like a a newborn animal and they just like they get the food or the milk and they are just so aggressive with like this is mine Mm. that's kind of how he comes across like you know i have to have every last drop and it's got to be all at the same time and then you know it's like okay that wasn't enough i need to satisfy it with you know even more alcohol and it's just there's never enough with this guy. He's got to keep drinking, and he's one of these alcoholics where he doesn't eat. Yeah, I saw. I saw that. I, I noticed it when I watched the movie. Is he never eats anything? Doesn't eat like rice. He'll like they're having a spaghetti dinner, mm-hmm. and he can't put the food in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with guys who are aggressive alcoholics, mm-hmm. where they either one forget to eat or they don't eat because they know they can't keep it down. Yeah, and he's the kind of guy who. I don't, I don't think he, he's probably, because I think the timeline of the movie is he's in Vegas for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, something like that. Yeah, I wasn't sure if this was like weeks or a month, but it was just like, because I feel like they kind of did this in a way where, you know, we're kind of in his shoes. So it's very, I don't know what day it is. All it's like, okay, well, sun's up now. Okay, now it's dark. Now he's, you know passed out in front of her apartment building and it's like well what happened in between him being at the store and then ending up there and that's another thing he shows up passed out in front of sarah's apartment and at first you know as a movie watcher you're like oh i've seen that before Mm -hmm. oh the drunk showed up Mm -hmm. and it's and it's gonna be funny Mm -hmm. and then as the and then you kind of realize i mean i oh this is my second watch i start realizing that Oh, all the things that are played that in any other movie would be played for a laugh is incredibly depressing. Yeah. Because Ben Sanderson is not a character, he's a person. He's they a person, really yeah. realize that in the film. And 
uh, every time I every time I look at that and it's like because don't be wrong I like a good drink you know I I'll have a beer or two when I'm hanging out with my friends or I'll have an old fashioned with dinner. Mm-hmm. But like I cannot imagine the amount of booze that would that you would need to 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 get this bad. Well, I mean, the only real comedic moment is the very beginning of the film when he's at like a Bevmo or a liquor store where he's loading up his cart and he's like dancing and it's like Oh, okay, you know, this is a fun guy. When the movie started, you're like, okay, the trailer was a Bane switch. This Mm. is a comedy. Let's fucking go. And then it's like, oh, wow, you know, mostly his apartment's filled with alcohol bottles. Or, oh, wow, he's packing up to move in with Sarah and he throws away all his clothes so he can take all his booze with him. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I need more context. It's like, what happened that led you to becoming this much of a raging alcoholic or is it just you know like some people with addiction where they have it at least once and it's just a thing where i have to have it well okay because alcoholism can lead to certain like like things like depression like that that, that's a pretty common thing for people who drink a lot Mm -hmm. as they suffer from like depression or they're just generally some of them have like the the term the mopey drunk Mm -hmm. right so Ben, as he's drinking, he resolves to kill himself. He, like, you think he's, like, oh, he's depressed because of the booze. And he, or he's depressed and then he starts drinking to cope with it. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, because throughout the movie, we see Ben, when he's drinking, he's on. Yeah. And he, everything is, like, a joke. He's laughing. He's trying to just be big. and. Yeah. In the movie, it comes off as incredibly obnoxious because mm-hmm. if you've ever met somebody who's really drunk and they're trying to just like make the room laugh, they don't, they're not funny. No. They're obnoxious. Fun fact, I'm that kind of person, but... <laughs> but you're also not... I'm not dr- this, I'm not this drop down drunk, yeah. Well, that and you're not drunk often. I think you've only been drunk a handful of times. I've, I've only ever been drunk... I've only ever been like real, real drunk once. Yeah, and that was for somebody's birthday party. But this, this is his everyday 24 hours a day life. He's got to be drinking. Yeah. And I mean, we see that with the spaghetti dinner. You know, he's, you know, kind of like swirling it around and coming up with excuses why he can't eat it. And then we pull to the wide shot and he has like five empty glasses around him. That and we show him finishing up one of the glasses. And I mean, he's chugging it like there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Well... Well, I wanted to get back to the to the thing that I was um, I made mention of with like the mopey drunk. I'm wondering if Ben's backstory was he was the life of the party party guy, mm-hmm. and he just and you know if you're the life of the party party dude in like college, there's gonna be booze around. And I wonder if he's like that kind of person who he just kept drinking mm-hmm. because well I gotta be on right. Yeah. You know I have all these business meetings, so I gotta keep like I gotta keep going and then that kind of flips on his head because i i know people who were like that you know in college and whatnot Mm who oh you know oh there's a part oh they had a party every other weekend and they would get like a a bunch of six packs and they would finish like you know like you know eight beers have a bunch of shots and they'd be you know ready to go but you got to think like you do that all the time it catches up with you and i think ben's i think ben was like that do, do you, what is your fantasy backstory for, for Ben the Drunk? I mean, I've been trying to think it 
over because I just watched this movie like a couple of hours ago. So it's yeah. it's very fresh. Uh, I would love more context, but I keep thinking, you know, maybe it's because of his previous relationship. You know, the, I don't know if she left because I was drinking or because she left to cause me to drink. It's like, no, I have a feeling you probably picked up the drinking and it was just too much for her. Yeah. And now it's like, I'm kind of pissed off at myself, but I'm pissed off at her even more for leaving me. So I'm going to really, really drink to show her and kill myself because I can't get her back. And I also don't want to get clean. Well, so, also, it's like, I that's another thing. Why does he resolve to kill himself? Because, yeah, he's in a he's in a bad spot. He's yeah. a he's a completely non-functional alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And he he loses his job as like a Hollywood screenwriter. His wife and kid leave him, mm-hmm. but like that, you know that that's a bad, that's a low point. Yeah. But why why do you think he resolved to kill himself like this with the booze? I mean, it could be a thing where he is just so addicted that it's the thought of life without alcohol mm-hmm. just may be unbearable, and it's just like you know what, I may as well go out having a really good time. Mm-hmm versus craving it the rest of my life and, you know, worrying about relapses. So it's like, I could see it maybe being that way, or he's just very dramatic. And, you know, it's like, you know what? I am devastated by the loss. Nick Cage being dramatic? I know, right? It's uncalled for. Who would do such a thing? But I think it could be, you know, it's just way too much to deal with. And I can't deal with a life where my wife isn't there anymore. I don't get to see my child, you know every day like I used to, maybe I'm just better off gone. I mean, I can definitely see see that perspective. But I I think it's the end of the movie, or I think it's when he and Sarah meet up for the first time. And he says there's only one rule, never, mm-hmm. ever tell me to stop drinking. Yeah. And I think that's, that's him. He, I think he identifies as a drunk. Mm-hmm. I think his life his personality i think he just sees i think there was a moment his wife leaves him he loses his job and he kind of looks at at his life and he has that realization that i am an alcoholic i am a drunk that is who i am as a as a foundation of my being is i am a drunk yeah and i'm and he's like i am at a place where i don't want to live anymore and i'm going to kill myself but as a drunk, the only way to do that is to just drink myself to death because that would be him living exactly the way mm-hmm. as is expected of him. Yeah. And I think it's just him trying to fulfill his own, like, fulfills everybody, ex, ex, fulfill everyone's expectations of him. Yeah. Because I think the, the beginning of the movie when he goes to one of his Hollywood friends and asks him for some cash, mm-hmm. they're like, look... I know what you're going to do with this. Just don't drink it here. As they hand him like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Because they know exactly what it's for. At this, I think that's him at this point where everyone already already knows what he's going to do. And I think after that, Ben realizes, yeah, yeah, no. I don't know why I lie to these people. I am an alcoholic. I am a drunk. Yeah, I'm just going to go be honest. I'm going to move to Las Vegas where I could... It's the city of sin. City of Sin and I could, you know, walk up and down the strip and drink and no one's going to stop me for drinking in public and I'm just going to drink myself away, which he does. Yeah. And 
and I think that's really like the heart of, of Ben, the, mm. the character. But let's let's talk about Sarah. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, this is the Nicolas Cage show. And he is above and beyond the Call of Duty yeah. in his work. But then we have Elizabeth Shue playing uh, Sarah. Elizabeth Shue playing Shara. Um, and she does great work in this. She does. Like, how did, like, um, I really, honestly, when I was watching it, because I don't remember Elizabeth Shue in a lot of movies. When we were, or when I was watching it, you know, I kept looking at her and I'm like, I know, I know you from other things. And it was just driving me crazy because I couldn't, you know, put my finger on it of, you know, oh, I've seen you in this. So I looked her up on IMDb and the first thing that popped up was Adventures in Babysitting. She's the babysitter. And I'm like, that's where I know you. So, it, you know, to see the range of, you know, this babysitter trying to keep the kids alive and get them back safe. To, to Vegas prostitute. Vegas prostitute where... You know, she kind of loves that this is her career because to her, it is a career mm. and she knows how to work the system, but it's, you know, having a pimp that, you know, basically beats her and cuts her and, you know, you know, I know how to cut you without, you know, affecting you for the night. You're still going to go and, you know, go and work. you're going to go and work, but you know that I'm in charge and then seeing once her pimp is taken care of. I, I, is that I she want... turns into, you know, kind of like, ooh, I could kind of go towards like a, a madam route where I'm my own boss. I want to make a point about Sarah's pimp, uh, played by Julian Sands, who mm -hmm. plays Yuri Bulstov. He's supposed to be a, a Latvian pimp. And I want you to know, my accent is better than Julian Sands in this movie. Because he slips into his English accent like every other line. Yeah. And it... It's like the only part of this movie that's actually like okay, that's a little that's a little sh sloppy right there. Yeah. But granted, he's dead like in the first thirty minutes of the movie. Yeah, he doesn't make it long. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things where I'm watching the movie and I'm like, oh my god, you know, oh Sarah, she's about to get beaten by by this this guy and he's this Latvian pimp and then he goes and he's like, Sarah, I can't understand why you have to be like that and he just goes into a totally different mm -hmm. accent halfway through a line. Yeah. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Why? You're ruining her moment. That's why she didn't win the Oscar. But, no, um, no. I, know, I, I mean, she, she put on a great performance. I mean, seeing the two of them together, Ben and Sarah, how toxic they are on their own. Which is weird, because would you describe their relationship as toxic? Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah, because, I mean, sure, they're happy together, but, you know, you should strive for your partner to do better for themselves and you know you've got Ben but, falling down drunk or you know he's laying out drunk in front of her apartment building and she's just like oh that's just Ben you know don't worry landlords it's cool he's a friend of mine and, get up I have presents for you come on let's go and and her still going out every night mm -hmm. and selling herself and and her... Ben being, you know, well, should I act like, you know, a jealous boyfriend and follow you around and make sure you're okay? And it's, no, I got this. I'll come home and I'll see you for breakfast in a few hours. But but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I understand, you know, oh, you want the best for the other one. But their baseline of the relationship is I 100% accept you for who you are. No caveat. Yeah, you're an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm, I'm a prostitute. But as a baseline i 100 percent accept who you are as a person and the relationship is built off of that yeah i mean that's great because... but it's still toxic i 
I, I think it might just be like my, my idea of like the toxicity of the relationship because the toxicity is there bad for each other. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they're bad to each other or for each other. I think Ben just being this person who, yeah, he's he's thrown money around and he's, you know, bl- blast out drunk most of the time. But he is probably the most, probably like the most stable male relationship Sarah's had. Yeah, We're, but I mean... And then on, on the how... other side... So, uh, sorry, don't yeah. worry, I'll, I'll get you. I just want to finish this thought. And then the other side, you have Sarah, who, yeah, she's she's a prostitute, but she's probably the only person to have ever just accepted Ben on his own terms of, yeah, you're an alcoholic, I understand that, but you know what? That's just who you are, and I'm just, I'm just going to accept that because I think you as a person would not be the same person if you weren't drinking. Which, yeah, is a kind of, like, fucked up morality there, both in, but I think it's a very understandable connection they're making. Sorry, and and then here's the counterpoint, because Dean's dumb. You're not dumb, it's just, yeah, you know, that's great that they uh, accept each other, and it's pure, but at the same time, him coming into her life, we don't know how long she's lived in this apartment, but in the span of their week or two week relationship, he's gotten her kicked out of the apartment. Now she's gotten herself, you know, in a, a gang rape where she gets beaten up. And you just see her kind of going down further while he's, you know, continuing on his beaten path of, you know, well, I'm on my way to killing myself, so I'm not going to let it get better. But before he dies, he calls her, you know, my angel, my this and my that. And it's like, okay, if she means this much to you, wouldn't you try to better yourself so you could live a lot longer with her? I think if, if she he... makes you this happy or is she just, you know, a small blip of blimp of happiness on the radar before, you know, I check out for good. I think if he I think if Ben didn't die and went back and tried to better himself, that wouldn't be true to who he is. I, I, I know I know it's the most like hand wavy um bullshit, but I think him as a character, if he doesn't die at the end and drink himself to the end and he tries to just not be who he is, then I don't think that's true to who like his character is. I don't think the story works if Ben tries to better himself. Because if he does better himself, then that's not Ben anymore. That's that's somebody else. We have only we granted we only know the context of Ben as the crippled alcoholic, yeah, or the or blackout drunk Ben. Those are the only that's the context of who we have, and that's a person. So if he's not like that, then us as the audience, that's a different that's a different character. Yeah, but he's I mean, he's just a boring screenwriter who's in a messy divorce. Yeah, but I mean, with him ultimately dying and getting basically what he wants, he he drinks himself to death, and he finds love right before, what about her? She's not gonna, you know, drink herself to death or kill herself. She's gonna go on living the rest of her life with basically the one that got away, because right off the bat... How does the know, saying go? It is better to have loved than lost than to never loved at all. I think that's kind of Sarah's. Granted, it's the short stick of the story, but I that's guess. kind of where Sarah is. Yeah. Maybe it's a thing where, you know, seeing Ben's downward spiral, maybe she's... I actually don't know. I actually I actually don't know how Sarah's story turns out after the movie. 
That's why it's like, you know, does she go back to, you know, working the streets? Does this kind of, you know, make her go clean? You know, instead of having to deal with, you know, the possibility of, you know, getting beaten up while on the job. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine she can only do this for so long before... Before the eventuality of what being a prostitute entails. Yeah, you know, she might be killed. Um, illness. Anything could could one, happen. One of the worst case scenarios, she does this well into her 40s and then mm. she realizes... You know, you, this kind of lifestyle does not lead to a to a retirement option. No. So that's why it's like, you know, what's the the next step for her? But it's a movie. We don't know. We only know what happens in between the credits and the opening. And I think that's the best part about it is because I am so invested in Sarah as a character. That speculation is infinite to me, mm-hmm. and I think that and I think that's the best part about this movie. I think it's wonderful. We open with Ben, this drop-down drunk, who makes this true human connection with Sarah, this prostitute, and the credits end, Ben's dead, and Sarah's still alive, and I'm just like, what happens to her? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I was in this world of 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 pain and misery and sadness, and, and the credits roll, and I'm like, I kind of don't want to leave, because... This is some misery porn, but god damn it, it's well-crafted. Yeah. I think that's that's a thing we could both endorse about this movie. It is a well-crafted film, well-crafted performance. It is. And, I mean, it it makes you feel. it. There's so much emotion in this movie. And it's like, you want them both to do better and have, you know, the happily ever after moment where they ride off into the sunset and it's, no. It's not it's, that kind of story. It's not that kind of story. It's not that kind of movie. Uh, we see him take his last breath. He doesn't die alone. And I think maybe that's kind of um, something that he wasn't looking for. I think, you know, the plan is I'm going to drink myself to death. But this was an added bonus that I wasn't alone when I passed. It's one of the most comforting things, right? I mean, especially when he passes and he looks over and he says, wow, before he goes and then he's gone. So it's like, okay, so... I think that wow was like, man, this was a, this was a good run. Mm-hmm. I, wonder if, I wonder if it was just something that simple. Like, what's the wow mean? I mean, you Is know... Is it just... I, I don't know what your uh, belief with, like, you know, heaven and everything. You know, it could be a thing where, because he was calling her my angel, and then he passes, you know, maybe he saw people that have passed on before him, and it's just like, Oh wow, there's another journey after this one that I'm on right now. Maybe. Cuz I mean, could have just been like cause we see Wow, him. I just plowed Elizabeth's shoe. Oh <laughs> shit. Could He knows, who knows? T- the cage could have improved. Typical man. Hey, hey, hey. Ben's a, Ben's way worse than I am. Uh-huh. Oh, he so is. Uh, when he's hitting on that woman in the bar at the beginning. Oh. Oh, that was that was bad. Yeah, that was really cringe. But it's the best kind of cringe because it's Nick Cage cringe. It's it's. I, I was gonna try and make an alliteration of Cage cringe, but cringe, but that that doesn't work. Cringe. Kajinge. I'm just gonna go with cringe. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so leaving Las Vegas. Oh man, that was a rough movie. I would still recommend it. I recommend it for somebody for a mature audience, definitely. Yes. But, like, I would recommend the movie. I think it's a great watch. 
it's one of those movies where yeah it's really depressing but it is impressive to see the performances in this movie yeah and i mean nick cage did a lot of work to become ben mm-hmm. i mean to the point where he recorded himself drunk so he could you know pick up on okay this is how i speak and this is my mannerisms when i am drunk so it's not like you know kind of phoning it in with okay, well, I've seen someone in this movie do it this way, and I've seen someone do it that way. I'm going to kind of mash those together and, like, create my own character. He's like, no, I'm going to do basically what I do, but to 150% to show that this man is more drunk than he is sober at all. Yeah. It's it's a it's a good movie. It's a great movie. I think this is a great movie. It's a heartbreaking movie. I... I know you were not, you didn't feel good at the end, but did you regret the watch? I don't regret it because it's just one of those movies that... You acknowledge it's good, but it's not something you ever want to watch again. Yeah, I'm never watching this again. (laughs) I understand. It's too heavy. Don't worry, this will be our next date night movie. You know, we'll just put it on some Las... Leave in Las Vegas and chill. Oh my god. Okay. No. Would... No, 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 no. No. Would you... No. (laughs) Could you imagine? No. Just imagine. No. There, some guy is like, oh, it's this Nick Cage movie, babe. You know, we're going to put it on. Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, it's a fucking party movie, babe. It's going to be great. We'll just cuddle up on the couch and turn Leaving Las Vegas on. That's got to have happened. This was on Netflix at one point. No. Would that be the just the worst date night of all time? Yes. Yes? Yes. Everyone's leaving that room dry. <sighs> leaving the, the room dry, just thinking, what the hell did I watch? Like, my God, I just wanted him to do, you know, better. I wanted him to survive this. <laughs> the guy sitting over there being like, man, poor Elizabeth Shue. Oh, man. Poor Nick Cage. Oh, man. Hey, babe. Chill? Chill? No. Oh, damn it. See, that? that's what would be the date. It'd be, it'd be great. But a much better date movie is our next movie. Yeah, better date movie, better just overall fun movie. Yeah, this is definitely a far more fun movie. A movie I thought Dean would like a lot more, and he was just like, eh. I was not. It's whatever. Eh. I like this movie. This movie was a lot of fun. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not the uh, uh, the 1999 cinematic classic that is The Mummy, but yes, it's it's pretty good. Like, I, I would definitely put this on and have a couple of brewskis with the boys, you know. What accent was that? I don't really know. I got a f- lot of family in the Midwest, and sometimes they say brewskis with the voice. But yeah, so uh, we're, okay. we're talking about Con Air now. Yes, Con Air from 1997. This is action star Nick Cage. Yes, he had the back-to-back release of Con Air and Face Off, and then I think The Rock was a year after? I think so. Yeah, it was a, de- it was a year before or after this. Like, it... He had a trilogy of action films. Yeah, we were very young when these movies came out. Uh, so, very. so yeah, so our, our recollection of the timeline of when these movies came out is a little shaky, but yeah, Con Air is a good time movie. I mean, I mean, it's got its heavy elements to it, but it's. I mean, its heavy elements are veneered in 1990s cheesy fucking action, baby. This is a Jerry Bruckheimer movie that's trying to be a Michael Bay movie. And I think it works. Oh, no, I think this works. I think for what this movie is, it it is some of the best, like, cheesy action money can buy. And it has one of the most 
uh, screen-used moments for uh, a meme with him coming out of the the airplane, and it's you know hit the, the fucking the bullet, bullet and you know his eyes are closed. I've you you know I've used that meme. I've sent that meme out. We're probably gonna use it on the channel or uh, our Instagram channel. It's gonna be featured on there because how can you not? Exactly, and I mean, like okay. Uh, do you, it is your turn to give the synopsis of Con Air. What is Con, Con Air? Con Air. How do you describe the cinematic masterpiece that is Con Air? Con Air is about honorably discharged Army Ranger Cameron Poe, who comes back and he greets his wife, who is a server in a restaurant. She is pregnant with their first child, and he is just so enamored in the moment of, I finally get to be with my wife. And we have a group of drunk men in the bar that are constantly harassing her and are trying to pick a fight with Cameron. And, you know, her telling him, you've got a past, you're above this, which kind of intrigues us to, well, who was Cameron before the Rangers? Ooh, somebody read uh, Save the Cat for this. And then we ultimately have them, Cameron and his wife, leaving in a rainstorm and the drunks are just not letting him have it. So they get into a fight before they leave, and Cameron, because he is an army ranger, accidentally kills one of them because he is trained to kill. <sighs> and we get to see uh, an unjust trial where he is thrown into prison because your hands are lethal weapons. That is the most bullshit thing in cinema. That's not a real thing. Jesus. Ah, fucking. Uh, sorry, sorry. I hate that bullshit where it's like, yo, my hands are registered as lethal weapons. And I'm like, the no, that's not how that works. You don't have serial numbers on your fucking hands to register. They might. You don't know. You never checked. Yeah. But Cameron uh, is told to take the plea because Cameron is very honorable and it's like, no, I'm going to fight this. This was an accident. I didn't have any intent to kill this man. It's just we got into a fight and it, you know, it happened. And he takes the plea, but he has to serve... What is it, like 10 years? 10 long years. Which means he misses the first nine years of his daughter's life. And we see him in prison, you know, bettering himself, learning different languages and corresponding with his daughter and basically counting down the day till he gets out and he could be reunited with his family, which, you know, movie magic ends up being on his daughter's 10th birthday that he's going to finally meet her. Who would have guessed and then all hell breaks loose because there is this airplane that they're introducing where they're going to transport convicts back and forth. And it's built for some of the most insane, deranged convicts that are around. And Cameron and his friend, I can't think of his name. Um, where is he? On? Baby-O. Baby-O. Who also, is a... baby, Mike, Baby-O-Dell. Jesus Christ. The nicknames of this movie are great. We have we have Babyo. We have Cyrus the Virus. Yes, we do. We have Garland the Marietta Mangler Green. We got we got Nathan Diamond Dog Jones. We that is a wrestler thing. name. Also, Diamond Dog Jones, that's a pro wrestler name. I swear to God. Oh, also Johnny 23. Yes, we Fucking have Johnny 23. Ramon Sally Can't Dance Martinez. Uh, yeah, Johnny 23, but we have, you know, basically Cameron's best friend who is Baby-O. They're, um, they're cellmates with each other. They've gotten to know each other. So the two of them are hitching a ride with some of the most 
deranged killers and criminals out there. And of course, all hell is going to break loose on this flight, which ultimately is renamed Con Air. Yes, when the, con when the convicts take over that plane, this is no longer U.S. Marshal Transportation plane number one. It is Con Air. I'm waiting for the fucking 90s Juicy Fruit ad to start where the guy that's the, the fucking um, uh, snowboard just slides across screen with a guitar riff going. I would have thought Mountain Dew, but okay. Why not? Why not? Yeah, everybody loves Mountain Dew. Get some code red in your life. Do the do. Well, where do you want to start with Con Air? Oh, man. Well, one, this cast is great. I mean, there is just a lot of star power in this cast. You've got uh, John Malkovich, who is always a phenomenal bad guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no beating that. I mean, uh, there's Machetes in this movie. Yeah, Mr. And Danny Trejo. Mr. Danny Trejo, and he plays one of the most deplorable human beings alive because he is a rapist. Yeah, and I, The name Johnny 23 is in reference to the 23 women. Exactly, and the fact that he gets, you know, tattoos on his arm for each person that he assaults is just vile and then i think my favorite has to be garland played by steve buscemi because anytime steve buscemi shows up well it's not just that it's he is so hyped and it's like we see the monsters that are aboard this plane and it's like oh my god you know garland's the worst and even the monsters like oh shit i've heard the horror stories about him and he gets walked in and it's just steve buscemi and it's like what He's, it's just like... <laughs> and he's playing like Hannibal Lecter. That's yeah. the best part. He's just doing a Hannibal Lecter riff. Yeah, and he's just like, yeah, you know, this really bombastic, um, you know, performance that uh, Cyrus is giving off. It just really shows the insecurities just showing through the cracks of who he is as a man. And Cameron's just like, would you just shut up? Like, <laughs> please? Oh my God. The, yeah, the cast in this movie is fucking insane i didn't realize how deep it was because it's it's nick cage john cusack john malkovich steve buscemi vin rames um the fucking danny trejo dave chappelle's dave in this Cha movie dave Ch when dave chappelle showed up in this movie did you I, lose it i almost shit myself <laughs> i'm like dave chappelle's in this movie mm -hmm. oh shit and a lot of his dialogue was stuff that he came up with on the spot i was wondering why it was funny jesus yeah. christ but, uh, I mean, it, when... Uh, it is insane how many people are in this movie. I mean, when Diamond Dog Jones comes out, I know him from Dawn of the Dead. And, Rames, yeah. yeah, and I was just like, holy shit. I'm like, I know you as, you know, the big hulking cop. You're someone that, you know, if I'm in a bind, I'd want to be hiding behind you. Because, you know, like, you got your shit together. But in this movie, it's like, oh, no, he, you know, he beat somebody to death right on the plane. I'm like, yeah, we're good. Like, You're like, yeah. oh, mm, got backing out of that one. Like yeah, you're you're kind of terrifying. Oh, and that and I think that's the, the that's an awesome thing because this, I think, going in, I thought this is the, this is gonna be the Nick Cage movie. It's a Nick Cage action movie. Mm -hmm. This is the Nick Cage movie. And then watching, I'm like, this is like an ensemble piece. Yeah. Like John Malkovich is like yeah he's he's noted that he's like this was not his favorite performance. He was like he kind of thought this was a little beneath him. But he's he, he doesn't show it on screen. He's no. given it. He's given it as all. Steve Buscemi is doing a great serial killer. Vin Rames is and Vin Rames and and Danny Trejo are. You can tell they're having so much fun mm -hmm. doing this bullshit. And then you have the man, the myth, the legend, 
Nick fucking Cage. And baby which I don't know if you recognized him. That's Bubba from Forrest Gump. Yeah, that's right. I, I, why I, does he die in every movie? But he doesn't die in this movie. He survives. Also, also I want that to be noted. That's That was a bait and switch. Because Nick Cage, Cameron Poe, is holding baby fucking Bubba, exactly like Forrest holds him in Vietnam. And I'm like, is this happening? Don't tell me Bubba dying again. No. Nope. Ah, I'm not ready for that. No, nope. Jerry Brookheimer's like, no, nah, we're going to let baby live in this movie. And I mean, I love that we start the movie off, you know, on base. Mm. And they have the, the soldiers repeating, you know, you never leave a man behind. And that is Poe in this movie because he could have gotten out a couple of times and just booked it to get back to his family. And he was like, you know what? Baby O, who suffers from diabetes, mm. he is... He needs his shot. He needs his insulin and he is soon, you know, going to be in shock. And it's this thing of, you know, I can't leave a good man behind. And it's just, you know, it shows the tenacity the honor and the character that is poe and just how he's able to outsmart you know this gang of insane people yeah because it's you know the inmates taking over the asylum and it's you know cops and other inmates are being you know murdered in front of everybody in front of the camera and it's just like holy shit i mean they could just bring down the plane and that's the end of the movie but it's like no you know cyrus has Somebody that knows how to fly a plane. And I mean, just seeing how vast his plan is. It's not, you know, okay, I concocted this plan to overtake the plane and we're gonna, you know, go land on a private island. It's like, no, I've got layers and layers and layers of this plan. And it's just like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I, the, the amount of, like, weird conspiracy bullshit that's, like, underpinning the movie is kind of awesome. Yeah. Also, I I want to point this out. Because we, we got to talk about it. Nick Cage's mullet and matching Alabama accent. Well, yeah. Because, okay. We we saw Nick Cage do an Oscar-worthy performance. Not, not two years before the release of this film. But he cannot put on a convincing southern accent to save his life. I was believing everything he was selling in this movie. <laughs> oh, come on. Put the bunny back in the box. He sounds like Dr. Phil. That's exactly what he sounds like. He sounds like a bad Dr. Phil. You love Dr. Phil, so what are you complaining about? Send him to the ranch, boys. But th- that's the thing. <laughs> the ranch, the ranch. The knife ra- hands. Yes, knife hands. We love Cinnamon Toast, Ken. Yeah, we, we, we watch a lot of those videos <laughs> when we're bored. But here, here's the thing, here's the thing. Like, his accent is so, like, it's like one of the only things about this movie where I'm like, this is a little fucking ridiculous. And Coming sa- from the man that does a bunch of ridiculous accents all the time. I'm looking at you, Dean. Uh, it happens. It happens. But here's the thing. I'm watching the movie, and this is a movie where I have John Malkovich n- being the Osama Bin Laden of the skies and taking over a plane. And then I have, like, Johnny23 Danny Trejo with that fucking nickname. And then I have Dave Chappelle and I'm like, and then a, the, an airplane explodes after sliding through the Las Vegas strip, crashing into a hotel. And I'm like, and you his think, accent's a little over the top. And you think we'd plan this out, that both movies end in Las Vegas. <sighs> the, see, did, this, did you it not just, it would have been better if we flipped it. Cause it, then it would have been like Con Air arriving to Vegas. Cause that's the end. He arrives in Vegas. And then with, Leaving Las Vegas. It's him leaving Las Vegas. It would a whole circle, baby. 
Everything's he, in a circle. Or he dies and leaving Las Vegas, enters a new life. Boom. There you go. So, okay. So, Con in Con Air, Poe is a reincarnation of Ben. Ben. And Poe is trying to do right by his... Pre no, wait. Oh, my God. And that's I got how it. he ends Hold up with his wife and kid again. No, 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 no. No. Con Air is a prequel to Leaving Las Vegas. Here, listen, listen to me. Hear me out. Hear me out. Look, look me in the eyes. No, so, I refuse. So, Poe, after... After saving the day, Sorry, getting guys, his wife and daughter go on back, for a while. his his wife Poe. After the trauma he suffered by having to to not only kill a man and spend fifteen years in prison, but I'm also, gonna take a Dr Pepper break. But also fight all these crazy convicts. He turns to alcoholism to 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 sustain himself to help him sleep. His wife, unable to cope with this man leaves him and and also poe becomes a successful screenwriter writing about the his experiences on con air and then oh my god it all makes sense everything is everything works it's a taco within a taco con air is a prequel to leaving las vegas you can't change my mental head canon you done yeah I'm, yeah i'm done oh, okay I, I do think that works though i guess i don't know okay nah. but yeah so con, con air you're reaching uh, but but yes, con hair. Do you, the 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 cagining. Why is Nick Cage so good in this movie? Because he walks in front of explosions at least four or five times in this movie. He is just like, yeah, I fuck yeah, I am the action star. I'm fighting people. I'm getting shot, but nothing phases me. I'm gonna take this bunny to my daughter, and that's all that matters. I don't care what hell I go through. I don't care if I have to crash land this plane myself. I will. I don't care if I have to be thrown around on the back of a fire truck, but I will. <laughs> because he will. Because he's Nick fucking Cage. Damn right. Damn right. But no, it's a lot of cheesy action movie stuff that you see. You've seen over the years compiled into one movie. Mm. But I love that they keep you guessing. Just yeah. like, you know, we end up in the airplane graveyard. And it's like, which is such a cool set piece. And it's like, that's such a cool way to change the story because there's plenty of places to hide. You don't know who's already there it on that location. It turns into a shootout instead of it just being a, an aerial battle. I mean, it's not even a shootout. It turns into a trap where all the good guys are trapped and all the bad guys are just, you know, blowing things up left and right and shooting at them. And it's Nick Cage, you know, it's Poe. On his feet, thinking up, okay, how can I defuse this, and how can I save the people? But but here's the thing, that's that's Poe, like you know the character. We can have anybody play that. Like this is this is like a Stallone I, role. But I don't think we can makes, have anyone play that. But that's the thing. Why is Nick Cage the actor so good as Poe? Is it because he knows what movie he's in and he's kind of playing it to the hilt? Is that why? Or like, he's also Nick Cage, so like, any movie yeah. he's in is gonna be awesome by like. 125% because it's Nick Cage. Nick Cage does raise the quality of every movie he's in. But it's it's one of those things where, like, Nick Cage is an action star. Mm -hmm. When you look at Nick's, because we've seen him as, like, the like the romantic supporting actor mm -hmm. in, like, the romantic heartthrob in Moonstruck. Yeah. We see him as, like, the dramatic leading man in uh, leaving Las Vegas, and it's Nick Cage, the action star. Mm -hmm. Two years after leaving Las Vegas comes out, Con Air comes out. What did the producers see in this guy that makes them think this guy can be the next uh, Stallone or the next like 
Schwarzenegger because he's in a Schwarzenegger movie. That yeah. Con Air's a Schwarzenegger movie. Because he has the drive. He not only has the range, he has the drive as an actor. He really gives it his all and then some because that is just who Nick Cage is. And that's what we get in this movie. There's a man doing this at 200%, not only for his craft, but for his character. Mm. And that's the intent of the character throughout the entire movie. I am getting to my wife and my child, no matter what they put me through, no matter what hell I go through today, it is happening. So let, let me see if I get what you're throwing down here. Nick Cage, him being... he, Because... I think we can both kind of agree that Schwarzenegger is a very charismatic mm-hmm. person, but he's he's not uh, the greatest thespian to ever grace the stage. Neither is, like, Stallone. But mm-hmm. Nick Cage, he can definitely sell, like, a humanistic element even in something this over the top. Yeah. I wonder if that's, that's why he ended up in this movie. Also, uh, Nick Cage, I've heard, is one of these guys that He'll just go and just do movies that just sound interesting. He and might have just been like, an action movie? I've never done one of those. Let's give it a shot. And it's an interesting movie. There's so many layers to it. It's not just his story. It's the story of the inmates, too. I mean, one of the most tense scenes in the movie, at least for me, is after they've arrived in the airplane graveyard and Steve Buscemi finds the little girl that's playing by herself. Oh my god. I she's was... having the tea party and... I think that was the most tense I felt the entire movie because the rest of it was like, holy shit, you know, they just shot that guy, you know, in the head and he just beat this one on the plane. But it was that little girl sitting down having a tea party and Steve Buscemi's white inmate outfit showing up on the screen. I was just like, oh, After we have shit. all the stories that he's this crazy mm. serial killer and like we go into his perspective and it's all like wonked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the only part of that movie where I was like, oh, oh, how how dark is this? How R-rated is this movie? I mean, oh, that, that took me back to uh, Once Upon a Time in America with the little girl at the beginning who's just going to the bar to get soup for her mom. Mm-hmm. And the guy leaves the suitcase. Or is oh, that, that, or that's the Untouchables. The Untouchables. There you go. Sorry, uh, the Untouchables. When you know the suitcase explodes and it kills the little girl, and I'm thinking, oh my god, it's happening again. Uh, and this guy is just you know vile and has committed some of the worst crimes that could ever be committed. And I'm thinking, this poor little girl. No one's going to be able to hear her or help her. And we get that part where. You see the broken cup at the table. They're both gone. And you're thinking, oh my god, he got in one more kill. And then he goes back to the plane and he's holding the doll. He's holding the doll. And everybody's like sweating. And then you see the obvious producer in mandated reshoot. Where the plane flies off and it's a whole CG thing. And you see the little girl run out and watch the plane fly off. I I mean, my heart just like... You know. You know some producer watched this movie and was like, the little girl lives. And Brockheimer's like, oh no, it's a mystery. Nobody knows. And he's like, no, no, no. No. The little girl lives or they ain't making the movie. No, no. It's like she (laughs) needed to live because, my God, my stomach, my heart wasn't going to unclench until I saw some form of life that that little girl was okay. And I was just (laughs) like, oh, thank God. Boo's like, look. If you want, if you want Boo to stress out, just put a little kid in danger. She can't, she can't do it no, in any context. I, I can't. Little kid hanging from the monkey bars that look just a little too high. Oh, she's sweating. It ain't ready. No, that's a bit extreme. We've all fallen off the monkey bars and we're okay. Uh, you say that now. It's dangerous. Hey, my but... friend fell off the top of the jungle gym, hurt her back. We thought she broke her back. 
she was able to get up and walk away from it. So we all survived the 90s uh, playground equipment. The, the rust gyms. That was what, that's Where what those we were. Where we burned our hands in the summer or hot days. I No meme. I almost broke my finger on one of those old slides. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody else had this, but at my elementary school, we had one of those like old, old, like solid steel mm-hmm. um, slides that... Was probably put in there in like the seventies. It was rusted out, yeah. and it was like, it was like big. I think it was like ten feet off the ground. And yeah, if you're like, you know, a grown adult, ten feet, yeah, it's pretty high, but it's not too crazy. I'm like seven. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like climbing up. I'm like this is gonna be great. I'm gonna go down the slide. Oh geez, this is really high up. And I'm like, oh, okay, and I like slide myself down, and I don't know. I guess the rust. Is an accelerant when you're a child because mm-hmm. I just go down way too fast and I try and stop myself by grabbing the sides mm-hmm. of this of this slide and I I I fucked up my hands. They got all messed up. My fingers got like clenched into stuff and mm-hmm. oh it it was a horrible horrible experience. Yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, I think it was either summer or just an incredibly hot day, and all of our equipment was steel and metal too because it is all shiny all shiny yeah and one of my friends she was climbing i think either the jungle gym or the monkey bars and they were so hot that her skin melted off onto the metal and i mean she was crying right away and we weren't sure and i remember we followed her to the water fountain and i mean there was nothing there was just it looked like she had marinara on her hands and we were just like like what happened it completely peeled the skin off and she was she had casts on her hands for like she, the she next got like year. Third degree burns she on did. her hands. Jesus. Yeah, Christ. it was brutal to see that in person and be like, "My God!" Like something that's a kid's toy can do that to you. But coming back to the movie, Con and, Air, and dangerous back, as a '90s jungle gym. Yeah, not you know our trauma that we went through in the '90s, but <laughs> the '90s jungle gyms almost as dangerous and exciting as Con Air. Yes, and I mean. There is so much excitement in this movie because the action is just jam-packed. It doesn't stop. It, it doesn't stop. There's no lull. It just keeps escalating. Even after the, the plane crash lands on the Vegas Strip, the fighting still continues. Mm-hmm. We have we have the motorcycle chase right after, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, okay, this is the only thing I have about this movie, and I don't even know if this is like a, a critique that's... Um, Petty valid? or valid, but here's the thing: this movie feels like some. This movie comes out what ninety ninety seven, right? I feel like somebody spent like seven years watching every nineteen eighties action movie and just was cherry picking all the action beats and all the stuff that was like, okay, that'll work, you know, that's that's a funny th- line or character, and just shoved it in a blender, and that's what Con Air is. It is almost every action movie trope you could have in a movie in one functional film which is impressive i think it works no i think i think it does work too it's just it's the it's that thing is i don't know if anything in the movie is actually original it's it's all things i've seen before but it's just impressive that it's everything i've seen before and it all works together that that's what's impressive to me about the movie yeah and I mean, it's ridiculous, some of the things that happen. It's like, that would never happen. But like a man going to jail for self-defense because his hands are lethal weapons? 
Lethal weapon hands. Or, you know... The, has knife hands. Or the fight on the uh, the fire truck. Yeah, that that's a little more ridiculous. You know, yes, where, yes. where they're, you know, shooting fire hoses at... Uh, at Poe and uh, John Cusack, who's uh, Vance Larkin, Vince, U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin. Vince, no, Vince, Vance, Vince, Vance, Dance, Lance. It's Vince, but the so two of them. I, I was making a Grand Theft Auto reference, and you know, uh, no, don't worry. There's one person out there who got that Grand Theft Auto reference, and they're gonna they're gonna be like, yeah, I played Vice City too, homie. I got you. Is it gonna be Matt? Probably Matt. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Matt played Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Um. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that was ridiculous, um, but finally getting to see Cyrus lose, mm. I think that was, you know, the cherry on top, because it had been the whole time of him getting away and basically going and hanging out on the beach and having a margarita. That was his goal. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into, oh no, I thought you were really cool, Poe. I thought you were one of us. Now I'm going to go after your daughter. And I won't stop until your daughter's dead. And now it's like, oh, now it's turned personal. We gotta, you know. <laughs> I I am surprised the line, now it's personal, doesn't get uttered in this movie. That's why I had to do it. Because they forgot. That is, one of, that is the only surprising thing about this movie. Is that that line is not uttered. Be, also, it... <laughs> Jesus Christ, this movie This movie is both generic and awesome at the same time. It drives me crazy. Yeah, because I'm trying to look at the cast list to see if I could find him. It's like the the CIA guy or... It's the DEA agent. The DEA agent. I um I don't remember what his name was. Uh... Oh, uh, it's uh, William Sims. Agent William Sims, DEA, played by... Jose Zaninga. Oh wait, no, that's no, no, that that's the the guy that goes undercover and ends up getting killed on the plane. Is that? Oh yeah, you're right, you're right. That is the guy that ends up getting killed on the plane. Don't worry, we're we're gonna figure it out eventually. The DEA agent it, that's giving John Cusack a hard time. Yeah. Um. Oh my God. I mean, I just wanted to slap him, punch him because he is just so up his own ass, and it's like you're getting innocent people killed. Because you can't just step out of your own way, your own mentality, and let someone take over and kind of, you know, hey, I built this plane, I know how it functions, let me do it. And if I send someone in the plane with a gun, the plane could possibly explode. Nah, man, we're gonna send him in with a gun, and ultimately, you know, his agent gets found out, gets killed. I mean... that's that's why this movie... Somebody read Save the Cat and then wrote this movie. You know, you because have... of course you need the gun. You have Larkin that figures out that they're going towards this uh, airplane graveyard. And it's like, no, we're going to follow the trail from um, the black box that was in this plane that gets placed in another plane, which is a... What is it? Like a, like a tour guide plane? And you see the family get in it and they're flying over the canyons and you got the, the choppers going after this plane... And they're ready to blow up this plane that's filled with just an innocent it, family renting it for a couple of hours. It, it's the thing. It, it's, again, it's one of those things where this movie is is like, hey, we watched a lot of a- other action movies. We're just gonna, we're gonna sprinkle some shit in here. Because I feel like, oh, they're gonna blow up the, they're gonna blow up the car, man. Wait, the tracker's in the wrong car. Oh mm. no. Like that shit. And it, it's one of these things, I really did enjoy this movie. This is I mean, a, such a fun movie, but it is a movie I think I've, I feel like I've seen a million, a million times. 
But you haven't. I know. It's it's weird. It it this movie is is like it's like magical. I wonder if that's why this is the greatest film ever made. Not only does it work on its own, but it it's like every other movie put together. You've got a strong star mm-hmm. who has been wronged and is still continuing to do the good thing of, you know, being a good person instead of, you know, kind of falling through the cracks and, you know, well, I could do this for myself and leave the other innocent people here in danger. And and also, action movie logic, he is a former army ranger. Mm-hmm. Oh, that means he can he can kill 15 men with his bare hands in a row because exactly every character who's been in the military and in a movie obviously is a, is a killing machine that will only do the right thing. I guess, because I mean... That's what the 80s have taught me. I guess. I mean, we see him, you know, protect Babyo, his best friend, basically. But we also see him protect uh, guard Sally Bishop, Mm -hmm. who, you know, she searches him and then she shows, you know, he shows her the picture of his daughter in his pocket. And it's kind of like that tender moment of, you know, okay, you're not one of the typical guys I deal with. You're, You're a good guy, but you... You're in this situation. You're in this situation. And he really makes sure to protect her from... um, Johnny Johnny 23. Because that is his vendetta of, I'm going to get you at some point. Johnny 23. Oh, the nicknames in this movie. Everyone has a nickname. Everyone has a nickname. And I mean, he tries to get at this guard at any possible chance that he gets. And I love that in the end, when the plane crashes and Johnny 23 dies, his arm is ripped off of his body because he's cuffed. And it's the arm that has all the tattoos. And I was just like, like, sweet karma, thank you. It's <laughs> almost like the people who who wrote this movie watched a lot of 80s action movies and were like, the bad guy's gotta die at the end. Also, that's in Danny Trejo's contract. If he plays a bad guy, he has to die at the end. That's in every... I realize this. That's in every Danny, Tre, and Danny Trejo like contract for his movies. If he plays a bad guy, he has to die at the end. Because he's a good guy. It's like, yeah. it's like, why should the bad guy get away with it? And we ultimately see that with Cyrus. He's intelligent, yes. He's maniacal, yes. He can, you know, craft an escape, a, an escape like nobody's business. But seeing his head get caved in at the construction site... I was like, brava, finally, oh. he's out of here. <laughs> that, this, that movie, the movie turns into a Looney Tunes cartoon near the end. Like, I swear to God, of course his head gets, oh, he's the most evilest bad guy, so he has to get killed in a hydraulic press. Wait a minute. The Terminator was bl- killed in a hydraulic press. This is just a, every 80s action movie. And you love 80s movies, so embrace it, enjoy it. And you know what, Boo? I think everybody else... Should embrace it. Like, because honestly, I embrace it. This is a good movie. This is a fun movie. It's a fun movie. I would we, recommend. We have the the romantic song that begins the, the movie and ends the movie. I can't think of what it's called. It, uh, if you scroll up. My heart will go on. It, it's not my heart will go on. It is How, How Do I Live by Trisha Yearwood. Which, and it's just that, like. That, mo- that song took me to, to, a, to a 90s like, oh, bend yeah. that I did not want to be in. That sounded like some Celine Dion like bullshit, and I'm like, "What? Wait a minute! Hey, I thought we left this." You love Celine Dion's "My Heart Will Go On." It's not even her song. I think that's Whitney Houston's song. No, that's uh, "I Will Always Love You." That was a uh, a cover of Dolly Parton's song. Wait, where's where's "I Will Always Love You"? What movie is that? The Bodyguard. Oh fuck you! 
not, My not Heart you, Will Go On is from Titanic. Not, that not, was written right. for the movie. Yeah. You're right. You're right. But no, hearing How Sorry, Do I Whitney Live. Houston and Celine Dion. They just look so similar. I get them mixed up sometimes. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, could be twins. Uh-huh. But, I mean, that song took me back to, like, when there was actual, like, music stores. And you'd go buy, like, CDs and cassettes. You, you, all, you would buy the movie soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I, I remember Or when they I had owned... like the, the headsets where you could go and you could listen like preview like whatever C D. I remember that, yeah. They had the little stands where like you would pick like the song or whatever and it'd play You'd you scan like it. thirty seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I remember because I had I think it was the Knight's Tale soundtrack, the mm-hmm. Heath oh, Ledger movie. That's like, another one. Because yeah. it was just all like classic rock songs. Yeah. So of course, like yeah, my my I think my mom got it or something, and I would just listen to that because oh yeah, I like classic rock songs. Yeah, that's the only one I remember vividly, like owning and and like listening to a lot. Um, but I know you. I think you had the Batman Forever soundtrack or the Batman soundtrack. No, I mean I have a lot of soundtracks, and now that I've grown and we have Spotify and YouTube, I now collect them through there. You just listen to Kiss by a Rose on repeat. <sighs> I mean... It is your favorite song. That is one of my favorites. That song is just a banger. (laughs) And then last year or the year before, Sting started... Or not Sting, sorry. uh, Seal Seal. started watching my stories on my photography page on Instagram. And I was just like, I have come full circle being a fan of Kiss by a Rose. And now Seal is watching my stuff. I don't think you are selling it properly to the audience out there. This, I, I think it was like one in the morning and I get a, I don't get a text, but I get a call from you. I didn't call you. Oh, oh no. You called me. Can I, no, what's I going didn't. on? Who is something wrong? Oh, Dean and with his and ideas and like, stories. Seal is following my stories. And I'm like, the animal? You're like, no, kiss from a rose, you plebeian. I remember you called me, that was the first time you called me a plebeian. And you were so hyped so hyped senpai noticed us no i texted you and showed you a screenshot that he had been following my stories but when i did call you a plebeian it was because you know i was talking about the song and where it was from you had absolutely no idea you were amongst your fellow nerds and you all didn't know i mean your sister had a conniption that the two of us knew where kiss from a rose came from and you guys the you know we are nerds and we are proud and we know everything about nerd culture. Didn't have the slightest clue. I guess from a rose. Came I mean, from. I'm, I'm sorry, Boo. I don't I don't remember nineties uh Batman soundtrack. Convenient, very, very convenient. Indeed, indeed. But yes, that was Con Air. I highly recommend this film because it just has so many elements to it, but ultimately it's a good time. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I can give it. The movie, yeah, it's something you've you've seen before. It has a pretty, it has an amazing ensemble mm-hmm. cast, but also it is just fun. This is in the same vein as like other dumb '80s action movies. This is that, except with all the '90s stuff you you miss. Yeah, and it's up there with other you know really acclaimed action movies like Terminator, where it's just you know it's. It's nonstop. The action just keeps going, and you are just basically on a thrill ride the entire time. It's a roller coaster movie. Yeah, it, it's a movie. It's not going to try and you know change your life. It's not going to try to appeal to the humanity in us all and all that stuff. It's just going to try and excite you for mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, the hundred and fifteen minutes it runs. But 
With that, Boo, what do we watch next week? Well, next week we're going back to our single movie episodes. Yes. And to continue with Nick Cage month, we've talked about the leading man, the uh, dramatic role, the action hero. Now we're doing the franchise star, but not quite a franchise because we haven't gotten the third installment yet. But hopefully we do. Everybody's been clamoring for it for 20 years. And I keep getting, you know, alerts that, you know, it's been confirmed. But until I finally see something from Disney, I won't believe it. We are talking about... National Treasure. Oh, man, this movie. If you are a movie watcher of a certain age, oh, the nostalgia boner might have just torn through your jeans. Because National Treasure has a special place in all of our hearts. All of us that grew up, you know, early 2000s, got us excited about history. And that was the most impressive part about this. Jesus Christ, this movie made me a history nerd. And we also happened to live close to one of the shooting locations that was used in this movie. Yeah, yeah, actually look out for that on our Instagram page. We might actually post some pictures about that. Yeah, we're, we're probably going to have to go make a visit. We've talked about it before. It's really not that far away, so definitely look out for it. Uh, I'm excited to talk about National Treasure. Me too. I have, I have not seen this movie since I was in maybe middle school. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember, I have nothing but fond memories for the film. So yeah. I'm really excited to give it a watch. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. Um, I'm trying my best to keep up to date with all of our content and videos but it's kind of a lot of work and i'm really lazy but you can show up there if you can't find the brand newest episode we have a lot of episodes in the backlog we're coming up on episode 100 in just a few months so yeah you got a lot of catching up to do and if you want to follow social yes i'm keeping that in <laughs> no please don't oh i will if you want to follow us on social media you can find us on instagram at the film club podcast where you know we go to filming locations or we just we share memes of Nicolas Cage in certain movies, or everything else that we talk about. And with that, Miss Boo, we'll see you next week at the Film Club. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.